Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Just an update, if you enjoy the show, don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes and if you like what you hear, it would be great if you could give us a decent review. We also have a couple of good events coming up that I want to make sure you're aware of. The first is the Global Reputation Forum that's taking place in Oxford on July the 3rd. This event is all about what good and bad reputation means for organisations. There are no communication speakers at this event. Our speakers are politicians, journalists and CEOs. The second event I wanted to flag is our annual Future of Influence conference. This was a sellout in 2017 and I reckon the programme is even stronger this year. Both events are on the homepage of PRMoment.com. OK, plugs over. This week on the PRMoment podcast, I'm pleased to welcome the UK Managing Director of Portland, Mark Flanagan. There are a couple of things that make Mark and Portland an interesting story. On a personal level, Mark has had big jobs outside of PR. He has been the MD of LBC Radio, for example. So I'm keen to find out the reasons why he moved into public relations, having had a couple of senior jobs in another sector. At a company level... Portland is also an interesting story. It was set up in 2001 and today has revenues of over £30 million. Omnicom took a majority stake in Portland in 2012 in a deal reported at the time to be worth about £20 million. The deal was completed in 2016. It's well documented that PR firms from most of the holding companies are struggling to grow at anything above low single-digit rates. But Portland has grown at double-digit growth for the last six years, and I wanted to explore the secrets behind this. Mark, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Mark, as I um, mentioned in my intro, you were MD of LBC Radio before moving into public relations. Why did you make that career move? I actually spent um, 20 years in radio, um, originally as a journalist in a newsroom in local radio, and then... Um, briefly, although I don't talk about it so much these days, I was a, a DJ playing tunes. Um, really? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, I mean, since Operation U-Tree, being a DJ is not quite as cool as it uh, uh, as it once was, but that's what I did. And then I um, grew up the kind of management ladder and worked for a uh, music and media company called Chrysalis. And we, in 2002, we acquired uh, LBC, the, the talk station, and so I ran that uh, until like, 2006, when uh, Chrysalis was uh, Chrysalis Radio was uh, bought out. So, yeah, so radio was my thing. On my passions, I guess, were radio, but also business. So I've always been interested in in, in management and the world of business and politics. And right. um, I mean, example of that was when I was at LBC. I got Tony Blair to present his own phone-in on the station. That was long before Nigel Farage and Nick Clegg did their phone-ins. So um, that was a a big uh, moment that put the station on the map, although LBC has gone on to much greater things since I uh, stopped having anything to do with it. Hmm. Go on and talk to us about the radio DJ. I've got this wonderful image of you playing tunes on a breakfast show. Or was it a chat show? What sort of stuff did you do? I did a bit of everything. I mean, um, music shows, magazine shows, talk shows uh, in local radio. Um, But as I say, most of the recordings have been destroyed, I think, which is probably quite 
Sensible. We need to find one. Um, yeah, that's what um, the staff at Portland who <laughs> know about this have been asking me. But uh, no, I don't think so. Suddenly, I'm feeling I'm feeling truly uh, truly paranoid about my my present my presenter skills because I've got I've got a, a guru in front of me that I hadn't quite appreciated. But well, uh, not anymore. Okay. Yeah. Now, what I'm it's it's interesting that you you had a big Swiss C-suite role for, for a you know decent sized company, and then. You moved to, to government communications, working for Gordon Brown's government, um, when you became the head of strategic and digital comms. Um, how, how was it working for, in government, having, having left that corporate role behind you? Because in, in that sense, you had two changes. You went to work in a comms um, department, and you went from a corporate world to a government, uh, a, a government role. So it must have been a, a bit of a learning curve. I mean, the uh, truth is that there was a transition. So um, after I left LBC, I did some consultancy and through uh, contact um, ended up doing consultancy in government, principally around uh, radio, but also digital comms. And I was working uh, when Tony Blair was in Downing Street. I was uh, working for the team there on um, actually podcasts. Uh, You'd be pleased to know I was an early um, early advocate of the uh, podcasting uh, genre right. and so uh, my paranoia grows <laughs> so uh, we did a whole series of uh, slightly weird and wonderful podcasts uh, when Tony Blair was coming to the end of his time as Prime Minister and then when Gordon Brown came in I uh, joined the staff which, which podcasts are those? Give us a little Oh, uh, we, um, we did some very uh, strange things I mean we sent uh, Eddie Izzard I remember to a European Council and uh, he actually he had a kind of VIP pass, sat where the foreign secretary normally sits, and <laughs> doing a kind of running commentary and on the plane with Tony and uh, just sort of strange. Uh, I remember Stephen Fry came in and did a conversation with wow. uh, Tony Blair and various. I think Bertie Ahern, the Irish teacher at the time, came and did some uh, recordings with us. So it was a sort of um, tail end of Blair when they were in a kind of happy-go-lucky, you know, we're on our way out sort of mode, trying all sorts of interesting things, and it was. It was really useful for yeah. uh, the team at Number Ten to try uh, try different things. So, the most important thing was that got me into a um, a position where I I knew people there, and then, um, as I say, they asked me to to go on the on the books, as it were, as a civil servant. Originally, as head of digital, and then the role was expanded to include running the strategic communications unit at Number Ten, which is where the home of the the famous sort of number 10 grid um and we ran all the kind of campaigns uh and uh, and digital was a part of that as well so that was a fascinating time you you know it's a privilege to to work um at number 10 at any time and you know we had a fairly turbulent time you know uh, regular issues and crises as you can uh, imagine mm. All of that is fantastic. Uh, There's a lot going experience. on around them, wasn't it, from a commons perspective? So it, they, I suspect it was a, a, a hectic couple of years you had there. It was hectic. I mean, there's never a never a quiet moment in Downing Street. It's the most fantastic place to work. Um, we had a great team, both special advisors and civil servants. We hung together and um, supported each other. Uh, actually, there were some really talented people, um, despite the you know, the high profile problems that we actually had some successes and um, it was a fantastic experience for me. And in a way, the the journey and the in the preparation for what I do now and, I, you know, I have to I, I help counsel senior people, chief executives and so on. You know, when you've when you've had to 
try and give communications advice to prime ministers and particularly ones like Gordon Brown, then you can basically you're not um, you're not uh, frightened of giving advice to anyone. Yeah, no, fair point. Um, but and I'm intrigued. That, I mean, you, you basically, I guess, left government commons when Labour lost the 2010 election. Um, but I'm intrigued that you you then left to go into an agency role. Was that was that a was that a, something you definitely wanted to do? Was that an ambition you had, or, or did it just work out? I'm not sure. I knew a lot about how agency actually worked. Um, I did have uh, friends. In fact, there were former government colleagues. There are two uh, former heads of strategic communications, or at the time, two former heads of strategic communications from Downing Street already working at Portland, yeah. uh, Steve Morris, Martin Sheehan. And so uh, in that sense, it was a very easy move to make. I and thought we'll very, have another one. We'll just keep taking them. <laughs> in fact, we've, um, we have a partner now, Laura Trott, who was head of strategic comms for a while for David Cameron. So right. there's, a, you know, there's a tradition of, of that. So in that sense, it was an easy, an easy move. You know, because, and I think when you get to a certain age and stage in life, you're looking for a culture as as much as the job yeah. itself. And it it was definitely having you know saying I knew the people and knew the environment at Portland. It was it was a, it actually quite an easy move. Um, actually, it was more difficult than could, I thought. I, 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 just a, I, I don't doubt you could. You definitely had the skills for it, but I was. Um, I was interested that you didn't decide to go back into to be a, a, an MD of a media owner or something like that, or you know, a senior role on that side. It was that you sort of got the PR bug at that point. Is that the right way of putting it? Or, I think or so. It? And also, uh, I mean, I, I'd, I'd come from the radio business, which was consolidating at that at that right. point uh, quite drastically. So there, there wasn't re- there weren't really senior roles in radio, and I didn't really want to go back. Um, and I think it was the you know combining my communications experience with um, business and with uh, uh, being more of a consultant, was it, it felt like the right thing to do. The opportunity came about because Portland um, hadn't got uh, a digital communications function at the time. Uh, it needed to catch up and uh, because I, I built that function in Downing Street, it, it was... Uh, it felt like the right thing to do. Sure. Uh, but why was that? Tra- you, you mentioned a moment ago that transition was possibly harder than you expected it to be. What was the the, the, the main reasons behind that? I think you and if you people that come from outside, I mean, agencies are full of people who both grown up in agency and uh, have come in from from the real world, if you like, whether that's the media or politics or whatever. Um, and you sort of some naively think, I've worked at number 10 and I've had this, you know, I've got this impressive CV. Therefore, clients will will just automatically want to my advice and will buy my expertise. And it's not quite as simple as that. Right. Um, as you know, agencies are, it's a, it's a consultancy is a, is a skill in its own right. And being able to um, manage the time of your consultants and package that up and sell that and, the commercial side of the business okay. is, um, is you know, something you need to uh, get to learn Understand. and not just sort of you can't just waltz in and say because I've been who I was and suddenly it will all work. And so my respect for people that have come through the agency route and understand uh, the intricacies of agency and the commercial side uh, uh, went up at that point. Okay. Um, and, and I've definitely... 
uh, hope learnt a lot of uh, a lot from those kind of people. So it wasn't it wasn't I don't know, an internal politics at, at Portland issue. It was the the nuts and bolts of a uh, uh, of running a or being a, a consultant and and in, in a sense selling your time in a uh, in an appropriate way to clients. That's know. not a yeah. it's not something if you've come from the outside world that you no. you 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 know automatically sure. instinctively you have to you have to be taught it and you have to learn it. Yeah. Okay. Now you hinted at that a moment ago, but what was your your first job at, at Portland? And what did you um, what did you come in to do? I came in as a partner to create a digital practice, and so we built a team. Uh, I think at the peak we were fifteen people at various levels, um, doing corporate uh, digital work and a digital public affairs for uh, existing and new clients. Um, and so that. Um, oh, and when were worked. we? When did you join Portland? I joined the beginning of 2011, so yeah. uh, that was uh, then. And, and in 2014, that was we felt that we'd established that to such an extent that we could integrate that into the business. And so the digital specialists were um, were dispersed, if you like, at, at, around the business practices of, yeah. of Portland. Um, and I think that was a that was the right thing to do, and it was it's really you know that kind of seamless uh, nature of what of digital and uh, and, and media and yeah. you know working across a platform yeah, is something that, that obviously now we take for granted. Yeah, I mean there was a time when when all digital part departments were a bit of a profit center, weren't they? But and now and now they're all integrated, as, as as you say, which I'm sure is the right way to go. Um, but in 2011, I mean, it's it's quite late, isn't it, for for an agency to be starting up a digital practice? Is that so? You you presumably had to press the accelerator a bit as, as you were launching that. Yeah, did you? absolutely. And uh, I mean, you you know, at that time, Portland was much smaller. We were about four. Yeah. It was about forty five, fifty people as opposed to two hundred and fifty, which it is today. Um, it was very much still focused around corporate communications and heavily around public affairs and actually one of the first things um, my predecessor in the current role Oliver Pauley did was put those two together and merge Corpcoms and public affairs and that was in a way one of the early building blocks to what led to you know Portland's um, you know, rapid growth right. um, but to, you know plugging digital into that was a, a sensible thing to do so we were we were behind the curve, and the, the agency had had a few false starts. It had done digital work, but using, uh, you know, using suppliers and outsourcing and and so on, but not entirely successfully. But it was at the traditional end of the market, and therefore it was, you know, it was yes, it was a bit late, but it wasn't um, at that point. It was, uh, you know, as long as we got on with it, we were we were fine. And that's now, as I say, uh, digital and social media work is embedded fairly naturally into most of the work that the agency does. Okay. Um, it's interesting that when Oliver Pauley left the UK MD job in 2017, Portland, who I would consider to be one of the most corporate PR firms, appointed their digital guy as their new MD. Did you think you'd get the job? Um, I think it's, uh, what lies, well, I guess what lies behind your question is two things. One is, you know, Portland being perceived as at the, as you say, the corporate or the conservative or the kind of pinstripe end of the market. I'm not sure that's ever been entirely true. Right. Yes, the agency is, we pride ourselves on being smart in every sense of the word and professional, um, but uh, it's not uh, it's not a pinstripe suit and tie type of, type of place. 
um, and um, increasingly the kind of work that we've been doing, you know, is you know is uh, broad, you know, is broader and it's more creative and and so on, which perhaps we'll get into talking about. Um, so I don't think the, the the agency has not has never been stayed, um, and so in that sense it wasn't. Um, I don't think it's really surprised anyone. Um, in in one sense, it was also it was useful, and it was a, it was a sign that the agency had changed, that it was mm. prepared to promote someone with a digital and content background. Um, but the fact that it was fairly that was uneventful and and not particularly controversial within the business shows, as I say, how much uh, things have changed. Okay. Um. Portland, it seems to me, uh, is an under-analyzed story um, w- within public relations. Holding companies in general, although I definitely accept that, that the London-based Omnicom firms, an exception to this rule, have, have struggled to grow as quickly as their shareholders would like um, and have outgrown, in percentage terms anyway, uh, and I, I stress that in percentage terms, not necessarily in financial terms, by their independent peers. But in Portland, Omnicom has this, this PR firm um, that has grown at, at double-digit growth, and I suspect I'm being conservative in that, that estimate, for the last six years. W- what is it that has meant that Portland has grown so successfully, do you think, and sustainably, frankly? Um, I think we've always, and this is really down to our founder, Tim Allen, we've always had an entrepreneurial culture. And so, you know, for instance, when I... I wanted to start a content creation business within Portland a few years ago. You know, I had to make a business case, but you know, um, the the spirit in the in the agency allowed for me to do, get on and do that. When we've opened international offices again, you know, we've uh, so you could say we've had a, we haven't had a consistent strategy, but basically we've we've followed our noses and our and, our, and the instinct on. All those uh, decisions. So I think being entrepreneurial is um, is one of those factors why we've grown. Um, the kind of people that we take on, I, as I say, I think we, we want to take on the smartest people in their fields um, and give them the space and the tools to do the best work of their lives. Um, I think you combine that with the market and the way the world's going really which is you know the zeitgeist of the time is it's a it's a crazy time in terms of politics the news cycles are getting shorter reputational instability for our clients is um, greater than ever before those threats are, are coming from all angles and from everywhere uh, you know and, and at times you can't predict so the uncertainty of the environment for businesses and for governments and foundations and everybody that we work for is such that they're looking for, you know, I call it, you know, serious people for serious times. You know, you want grown-ups to help you navigate that environment. Um, if you're a business, if you're in the flames, you want people to help get you out unscathed. And that's, that is the end of the market where... Uh, we operate um, and th- we have the people we hope um, to, to help us um, fulfill that. And that's, it's, so it's, it's all those things and just generally continually reinventing ourselves 
uh, as we're doing at the moment. We're thinking, what do we want the agency to uh, look and feel like in 2020? We have a, a, a project going on internally at the moment, a modernization project to constantly uh, reinvent ourselves based on the core principles, the DNA of the business that really was at the heart of uh, Tim Allen's vision when he started the company in 2001. It's just, you know, that used to be around the media and politics. Now it's it's much more complicated. Um, but while businesses, organizations, individuals have problems and issues that are complex and in contested spaces, they um, value uh, advisors who will help them with those sure. issues. And that, if that... It comes down to that simple pr principle, really. And yeah. delivering, if yeah. we continue to deliver that, uh, I don't know, what I call high-impact work, then that's where you will deliver better margins and, and better growth. Um, if... Um, you know, if you're if you're constantly chasing lower margin, more commoditized work, then that to that you know down that path lies misery, in my sure. my view. You can't well, you can't afford to to pay the best people the salaries that they need to be paid. If you see what I mean. That's I right. Yeah. So that's 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 the model. Yeah. Okay. Just talk to me. Um, I'm always intrigued when I hear people talk about entrepreneurship because it's such a intangible word isn't it um i mean clearly a startup business has to have an entrepreneurship spirit to it how do you embed and encourage an entrepreneurial um culture in a, in a 30 million pound firm i'm not saying it can't be done but it, it's it, you must have to work quite carefully to make sure you retain that edge it's a very good and important question and um, when we um Organize over what we think about because there is a big difference in a, between a firm that is 20 people, 40, 50 people, and one that's now 250 people. And we um, constantly think about how do we you know, scale up uh, our culture, um, part of which is being entrepreneurial. Um, some of it is embedded in our um, reward and incentive uh Structures, which I won't, I won't bore your listeners with, but it, you know, oh, our, love to know. <laughs> our staff have a stake in the business, and, right. and there are okay. quarterly bonus bonuses paid that are uh, reflect both their individual performance, but the um, the overall performance of the entire business, not just their bit of it. And then there's a, a profit share scheme as well for all staff. So, so there's a. There's a culture of... They've got skin in the game to, to yeah. the extent they can have within a, an Omnicom-owned business, right? Yeah, if you, yeah. you know, if you, if you work hard and you perform well, you can fast-track through the business in terms of promotion and, and, and bigger bonuses and more profit share oh. at the end of that. So that is... I mean, I think that's really important. There's, all, there's often lots of, of quite soft schemes I hear about, but in the end, you do need to... You know, people go to work to earn money. Um, and it's quite reassuring to hear that there's a, a decent financial incentive in these things for people because, you know, that, that is the essence of, of, of work, isn't it? Um, it is. And I think for more senior people, um, but actually for everyone, working on interesting clients and interesting challenges is a way that keeps everybody, you know, really motivated and okay. on fire. And as I say, the other thing is, and, and you know, Tim's has that um, 
as an entrepreneurial spirit you know, in his to his bones and therefore that he's still present and still uh, the staff uh, get get to hear that message all the time as I say that's allowed us to um, to respond quickly so if there's an opportunity um, as we saw at the beginning of last year in uh, Southeast Asia you know we had one of our partners go and, and set up an office in Singapore which is uh, is going going really well. So again, that was not necessarily some on some long term strategy, but it was, uh, you know, it was the something we were able to. It, it just clicked and it just yeah. worked, and we were able to to take that decision quickly. It moves me on actually, because you don't you don't pretend to be international in compared to some other firms, but you you are you, you've got a, a a decent footprint these days, haven't you, across geographies? Whereabouts is Portland? Where, where are we? We're in the US, uh, in New York and Washington DC. We're in um, uh, Doha and Qatar. We're in Singapore and um, Nairobi in Kenya, which is actually our oldest office. Um, and that principally came about because of our legacy in uh, international development and uh, um, some of our clients that um, were looking for expertise in Africa. And one of my pr- uh, our colleagues who has, has actually moved in the other direction from agency to government, Toby Orr, um, had a you know passion and interest in uh, in Africa and uh, won some significant uh, clients, um, most of whom are still with us today, like the Mo Ibrahim Foundation, Kofi Annan. We established his foundation, gone on to work for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. A lot of these clients, a lot, our focus is on uh, uh, on Africa, right. and so um, having a presence. Uh, there has has helped us uh, execute that work and and keep our knowledge of the continent sure. uh, fresh and uh, relevant. Which is an again, what is the model? So what what you know is London the factory of the work and and then you've got these outposts that I, I don't pretend are purely um, activation. There's obviously you've got some consultancy stuff going in there as well. But is, is that kind of the model? Because London's by far and away the biggest office, isn't it? Yeah. It is, and yeah. yes, most of our consultants are based in London. And, and it's true that London is the hub. That's principally where the kind of strategic thinking and planning is done. Um, and sometimes you can execute global campaigns ent- entirely from an office on the Strand. It's not, yeah. you know, if you have. And we have um, um, a whole floor of of, uh, of international specialists, and of, I forget how many languages we're up to, but some like forty languages in the agency. So we have people who can do work uh, francophone Africa or various uh, you know European languages and so on. So we're able to deliver you know campaigns if you want to get an op-ed in you know El Globo in Brazil, we can do that for you as well and. Uh, most of that work is done from London, so that's definitely um, that's definitely the the main epicenter of of our work. But having and it does vary from office to office and client to client. So there are some clients where um, having a presence in Washington D.C. where you, you can have access to um, to politicians and so on is 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 important as well so it does uh, there isn't a sort of it, there isn't one blanket uh, model but, but principally the essence, yeah. the essence of it is that they are more around the execution than they are the origination okay 
Your content and brand business has grown very quickly. What's the makeup of that team? Well, I'd love to say, you know, we, we went away and came up with some big strategy on it. I mean, the, the, the honest truth is we, we have an in-house marketing team. We hired graphic designers to help our own, make our own collateral look better and um, realized that you could actually make some money out of that and start offering that to clients. So that was really back in about 2014, 15, what we started to do and invest in that and, in, and create a proposition called Content of Brand, which does everything from, you know, sort of visual identity and quite sort of strategic, um, creative and design work through to social graphics, um, video and uh, web. Uh, and so we've we've hired a range of uh, specialists into the business and uh, educated our account teams uh, around uh, what they can are able to do. And some of that is, you know, is, is just part of how you, if you're executing a campaign, you know, you're looking for just light and easy social media content or it, sometimes the projects and campaigns are more complicated where actually design and creative is the lead. I mean, if you happen to be around Westminster Tube Station at the moment, there's, our, um, there's a campaign that we're running uh, around um, uh, ch- childhood dementia, which you know, is fantastic creative work. I mean, you, you know, you'll struggle to find um, better work in... You know, in in bigger creative agencies than than, than ours, um, so um, it it completely varies. Sometimes it's a small part of a campaign. Sometimes it is the campaign. Right. Um, but we found that it's um, you know it's clients want increasingly to have that you know content at the heart of their uh, strategies and um, have having that have it plugged in. And the and the reason why I think it works is the the creative people are sitting alongside the consultants and you know that means that the consultants who are the closest to the issue maybe closest to the client can be much more involved in the messaging and they yeah. can work hand in hand i think the alternative which is you've got a maybe a design agency or content marketing agency across town who you have to brief you know, you just get whoever, whichever designer happens to be free. They don't know your client. They don't know the issue. Um, and so something isn't quite click. Whereas if all that's together, then you're mm. going to get a much more, you know, integrated. And you. you know, the faster yeah. and much more integrated, joined up um, solution. Okay. But that's quite a big team now, isn't it? How, how, how big is that? It's just over 20 people. Right. Which is quite a bit, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, getting on to 10% of your workforce, which is... And, and how does that run? Because that's always a, a tricky... With my FD's cap on, I'm not an FD, but I suspect I never will be. But how does that run? How do you, how do you make money out of that? You, you must have to charge them out on top of... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, your clients have to... You know, you have to... You have to um, sell it and you have to get proper fees for it it's right. not something you they're not embedded within the client teams they're they're a standalone department that people use as and when they want yes i mean it's a central function that serves all the different the account yeah. teams and all the different uh business units but they are accessible and involved sure. and so on another thing that um it certainly helped culturally helped us um, and to your point about Portland being a, one of the most sort of corporate uh, 
agencies. Um, we now have, so we've got 20 or so uh, people working in content around who've come from uh, usually design or web backgrounds. Um, we have uh, run a, a graduate scheme, so we now have a dozen uh, grads who joined us last September who've just been given jobs in the agency in, in all the units. And we have apprentices, which again is something new, so with three or four people who have not come through the traditional right. uh, route. So it just university. makes for a better mix within the, within the business, frankly, of, of people. I don't think yeah. um, PR and I don't think our world is especially diverse no. of, on a on a social background. And I'm not saying we've cracked it, but we've made start made some a uh, start on that road because I think you know, clients and, uh, and their audiences are now more diverse. So you need to reflect that. Sure. Okay. Um, I always have this this slight feeling that that PR people are quite a paranoid bunch. Um, they seem to be. To an extent, anyway, um, forever prophesizing their, about their impending doom. Do you worry about the, the future of the, the PR agency model? I, um, you know, every time I think we're all doomed, um, you know, you see another example in the news or on social media of a uh, business or a brand getting it wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, and sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's not. Um, they're just caught up in a in a situation. Um, and do you think, yeah, that they need they need help. They need our, our advice. And so I think what we've got is still valuable. Um, I guess you know we know that the. You know, advertising has moved online considerably, so a lot of the businesses that are reliant on the old-fashioned uh, model are, of advertising are, are struggling. Um, whereas I think our world, if we adapt um, and we continue to focus on solutions, I think we focus on uh, getting you know better ROI and evaluation, and that's something at our end of the market is not being traditionally you know a uh, a strong point. I it think can be quite challenging for when it's strategic advice, is it? To, I mean, it's not like it's one thing trying to evaluate if you're helping a company sell more widgets, but that's not always what you're doing, is it? No, it's so, very. It is very um, subjective in that yeah. sense. Um, there's no, uh, you know, at that end of the market when it's really about you're saving our skin. <laughs> um, first, two things happen. One is the kind of Old, the traditional procurement model uh, goes out the window because it's yeah. value-based and this is what it's worth to us to save our skin. And secondly, if you save their skin, they'll, they'll be eternally grateful. Yeah. It, usually it's somewhere in the middle where it's about, if it's a reputation rebuild, increasingly actually it does need more data and evidence behind it. And what we um, have done a lot in the last couple of years is add in data research insights into our model so what you know you can benchmark where you are with a certain audience and um, and also test you benchmark where you are with a, an audience but also test your messaging and and then test the result afterwards and then perhaps go back and iterate so um, I think building in greater use of uh, of data 
um, at all stages even, makes even the more uh, reputational end of the market become much more accountable, and okay. that's and that's important. I saw something that with, with with you've you've launched Spark, right? Is that is that where that comes into it on the evaluation side, or is that at the sort of planning level, or, or are they, is it kind of both of those things? It's both. Okay. Uh, Spark um, is. Stands for strategy, planning, and analytics, research, and creative. Who did that? Not me. Um, so, yeah. uh, one of my <laughs> one of my genius colleagues came came up with that, um, and it operates at, uh, at kind of both ends. So, obviously, around new business, when you're you get a brief, um, you know you you need a you, you need more than perhaps has happened in the past in agencies like ours, where it's you know a couple of people go into a huddle and. Uh, come up with the answer. Um, you know, the, you know our, the expertise that we have through the great people that I've already talked about is absolutely invaluable, but it can't be the only thing. So what we try and do is blend what we call head and heart, insight and instinct together. Right. To, that is for us the alchemy. I'm not saying one is less important than the other, um, but if you can take... Uh, the experience you have and the uh, within your senior team and you can combine that with whatever data and evidence or inputs you can find and that could be and, and, and what clients get a bit of a scorecard incorporating all of those today is that, well is that the, the, the not dream or quite the, it's uh, more of a it's more of a that's the kind of internal okay. algorithm right. that we use to develop uh, a strategy Okay. So what we move to is a model of um, insight-based strategy and away from message-based strategies, which were very much around pumping out the message and hoping for the best. Right. So insight-based strategy is where you're taking much more account of how those messages are going to be received by the intended audiences um, and then using that to develop, as I say, a, a much more evidence-based strategy and from that... Uh, working on creative ideas, so Spark is as much of a process as a as a, 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 a unit of of people, and they work and facilitate a process of getting to better strategic and creative solutions for our clients. And that is, as I say, around new business uh, ideas, but also big moments for clients. Um, and that's um, one way that we are, you know, continuing to. You know, reinvent the model of what we. Uh, what so, we how 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 new is Spark? It's not. It's We've only new. started it this uh, in Q one this year, so, okay, so it's, it's really new. It's okay. new. It's building on our research and insights team. So we've had a a, a smallish research team in house um, for the last two years, and this is uh, adding into that mix. Gotcha. Uh, people with experience of analytics and uh, creatives and planners and so on, which is relatively new for our sector or our end of the market. And um, it's um, it's helping in terms of new business wins and it's helping us reach better solutions for our, okay. for our clients. So that's that's new and, uh, again, is is changing the way we we work as a, a business. Okay. And finally, um, what's on the horizon for Portland End? What have we got? What's coming up? I think um, I've just talked about, you know, the importance of, uh, of innovations like Spark. So, 
embedding you know uh, insights and, and data into the way we we work i think um you know creativity is important and being being more creative so we'll continue to um we'll continue to reevaluate everything we do and to add new capabilities and uh, new disciplines into the agency um i think financial pr is something uh, i'm personally interested in because i think that's a world that is um ripe for some kind of uh, disruption okay. i'm not saying we're going to come along and uh, take out the the big players in that market because that's that's not what we're going to do and they are they're successful and good at what they do but i think increasingly that market um is would benefit from closer integration with the kind of work that we do in corporate in um the digital and social media and in policy and regulation um partially, okay. partly because a lot of the big um M&A deals that are going on are falling foul not because of they can't raise the money or whatever but because they come against up against either regulatory or policy issues yep. or okay or the media takes against them so that ex- data external environment so it's is so now more important than it was in that world and therefore i think we can we can integrate financial yeah. pr we already do but, but those those would be the big deals wouldn't they i mean you, the, you know so they wouldn't be the the, the smaller deals that those those the ones that are affected by that sort of uh, problems are the are the big ones. They is, are. So you're setting your, you're setting your sights potentially quite high there. But but good on you for for doing so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll come back and let you know how that goes. Brilliant, Mark Flanagan from Portland. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.